He's more than able. Tell somebody, he's more than able. Yeah, that's why Paul said to our God is more and able to above and beyond what we can ask or think. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that truly you are sovereign, that truly you are holy, so you truly are merciful, you truly are great, and your love never fails. Father, we thank you that in spite of all that we've gone through, the heartaches, the pains, the troubles, the trials and the tribulations, you are still good. We thank you, Lord, that you reign all by yourself and you are holy all by yourself. And so we magnify you. We worship you. And, Lord, we open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts to you to see, to hear, to understand, to live your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that it be all of you and none of me. We preach your word with power, with practicality, God, with persuasion that lives will be changed, hearts will be transformed, all through your word, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray that all those agree say amen. 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 This is Sunday. We're leading up to our church anniversary. We'll be celebrating 130 years. Amen. And nothing can stay together that long without people working together. Tell somebody it takes unity. Tell somebody it takes teamwork. When you work together, unity, teamwork, uh, Another terminology used to say harmony. It takes those things to work together. And when those things work together, it's like a refreshing feeling. Think about it for a moment. Have you ever come home to a clean house? And how refreshing that was? And not only was the house clean, but children were smiling. Husband and wife were smiling. People, everybody was just happy to see one another. I will remember the times whenever I would come home to come into our house. No, the front door is open, but we don't come through the front door. We come in through the garage door. And especially times like on, on Sunday afternoons, I will come back home to the house and I walk through the garage door and I smell something in the air. I'm like, oh, I'm home. That's that refreshing feeling. And my mom would smile. Come on in, boy. How you doing, son? If my dad's there, he'll say my name, and he says it like, like the TV show, Cheers, Sam. He just, it's like an announcement that I'm in the place. It's a refreshing feeling that we get along together. We welcome each other. It's good to be welcomed somewhere. Tell somebody, it's good to be welcomed somewhere. Yeah, some of us have removed welcome masks from our houses, huh? Because we had some people that walk in that we did not want to come. We're like, nah, you're not welcome here. We, we might have been like Martin, you know, say, let the, you know, don't let the door hit you with the good Lord split you, you know. Get your step. And sometimes we don't have unity. When we don't get along, we unwelcome people. We push them out. But the psalm says in Psalm 1, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's a good thing. It goes on to say it's like the precious ointment. 
upon the head, that ran down upon the beard, even as Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. And then it goes on to say, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. That's three verses giving four principles in the Psalm 133. Three verses giving four principles. Uh, another terminology used is diadetic, that is giving teaching, is giving principles. It's something that's showing you here about practical living. The title of this psalm, they give it as a psalm of degrees or a psalm of ascent. It may be have used in a part of when they went uh, to their, their pilgrimage to, the, to Jerusalem for the festivals. And so maybe they, they, get, they credit it to David, and, and I'm going to deal with that in a moment, but David could have wrote this psalm. Saying how good it is for us to come together to worship God. How pleasant it is when you have your family reunion. Isn't that a good thing? You have all your cousins that some of you don't get along with, but you're able to get along with them when you're sitting out eating a barbecue. When so-and-so bring that potato salad, you don't argue anymore because you're eating some good food. But then you might talk, start having fun when you start playing the game, say, yeah, you could never beat me in this. You know, you might get into that, but you're enjoying the unity. And then maybe through the fights and maybe through the arguments, the cuts, the bruises you might have had during the family union, it's still hard to say goodbye. That's the unity. How good and pleasant it is. But then on the opposite side of unity, there's disunity. And that's not described as good and pleasant, but yet disunity is something that's bad and unpleasant. Uh, disunity is, is something that shows disharmony. Things are not getting together, not coming along. But that's not what the psalm highlights. The psalm highlights four principles of why it's good for brothers to dwell together. And the first principle says it's good, it's pleasant. Then it goes on to say it's an oil. And oil represents a, a fragrance, a presence. Also, too, it goes on to say that even on Aaron's head, Aaron, the high priest, oil on Aaron, the high priest, points out a consecration, which means God deems holy. Then look at the saturation, that the oil did not stay on the head, but it flows down. Uh, some translation says even down to his beard, to the collar of his garment, saying how long his beard, beard was, because somebody would anoint you with oil, they will rub it over your face, improve your countenance, and then you will smell good. Your appearance will look good. There's, your skin will be oil, so the dry air of the desert will be moisturizing your skin, so no longer would the dry air be beating it down, but then you have an up-looking confidence. But it didn't stop there. It goes on to say unity is refreshing, like the dew of Hermon. Dew is refreshing. But before I deal with these principles, I'm going to deal with David for a moment. They credit this psalm to David. Uh, how many of you are familiar with David, uh, King David, uh, a shepherd boy, the one that killed Goliath? He, he, he understood what disunity looked like. Uh, disunity looked like a man trying to throw a spear at you while you're trying to play music to calm him down. That's what King Saul did to David. David trying to get along. He didn't try to do everything but get along. Saul said, I don't care about you. I'm going to kill you. Whoop. Even Jonathan, his brother, understood unity. They had unity. He said they loved him like himself. But Saul had none of that. Saul still wanted to kill David. He hated David so much, Saul even attempted to kill his son. 
Do you understand? Disunity brings content, brings uh, uh, dis, uh, animosity, hatred. Looking how to destroy somebody, not build them up. But unity is good and pleasant. Tell somebody that's good and pleasant. <laughs> unity is a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. It points out these two words back to back, pretty much meaning the same thing. I think it's trying to emphasize something. You understand what I'm saying here? It's good and pleasant. It's it's beautiful and attractive. It's wonderful and amazing. You understand? Don't those words describe something? It's trying to get your attention. It says, behold, look. In other words, I want you to look how good it is for unity to be present among the brethren. Zion cannot celebrate 130 years if there wasn't any unity. Uh, Zion could not celebrate coming together over 130 years if there wasn't good and pleasant. And the thing to look about unity does not mean everybody agrees all the time. Unity means that we have a common degree of fellowship. It means that I might disagree with some things, but on the main thing, we get along. Uh, for example, I may not agree with everything my mom and my dad did, but I did agree to obey their rules. And because of that, we got along. But if I didn't obey their rules, then we would have some problems up in this place. In order for me to maintain unity, we had to learn to truly, I said truly, to agree to disagree. And, and sometimes when we say we, we agree to disagree, you know what that results to? I agree to disagree with you so much so that we will never talk again. You know how that is. Maybe not some of y'all Christian folk here at Zion, but some of y'all other people that might have been like me that wasn't saved all my life. When I said I agree to disagree with somebody, I didn't necessarily say it. I just said, I don't agree with what you're saying, so I'm done talking to you now. And if you call me to talk again, I'm not answering because I have nothing to say to you. And what I'm saying is that because you don't agree with me, I don't want to hear what you have to say. And since I don't agree with you, that means you're wrong and I'm right. And, and since I'm right, I'm right not to talk to you. So don't call me anymore. In that process, unity would be like we can come together and we can forgive one another. That's good and pleasant. Isn't it good and pleasant to forgive one another? That, that's what Jesus showed his disciples. He said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And, and Jesus did not leave this definition of love left up to them to understand. Because even Peter had some problem with this. Uh, Peter said, uh, Jesus, uh, what if my brother uh, offends me seven times? Then what? You know, Peter probably think a good thing. You know, seven times, that's a good number. It's a round number, perfect number. So seven times, I, I forgive him. That's good enough. Nah, Jesus, well, no, nah, you got it wrong, my brother. Seventy times seventy. In other words, unconditional amount. Even much so, Jesus says that I'd rather you have correction with your brother before you show up to worship me. I'm going to try to hurt somebody today. And I'm trying to because I want us to really look at this. How many here are sitting here right now got a grudge against somebody? That's not unity. That's, that, that's a, how, the Bible says, how can you love God whom you don't see and, and hate your brother whom you do see or, or hate your sister whom you do see or your distant long lost cousin, whoever it may be. How can you say you love God 
But the ones you see close to, you can care less if they live or die. But yet we see in the psalm, behold, how good and pleasant is for brother to dwell together in unity. How many here have been to the symphony? Isn't it a beautiful sound to hear that classical music? Oh, I, I, I was listening to, to some Dvorak the other day. My dad put me on to this beautiful introduction of the harmony. I, I don't know all the, the, uh, the terminology, so I'm going to say some stuff wrong. So I'm not going to try to say it, but I just like the beginning. And the beginning sounds so beautiful, the harmony of the music. But yet it takes all these different instruments, which are different in nature, make different sounds to make one beautiful sound. That's unity. Unity is made up of everybody. Look around. Everybody does not look alike. Everybody does not dress alike. Everybody does not think alike. But yet we all can come together and work together. That's unity. Looking at a basketball team, you have from seven foot tall people to some people just barely over five foot seven. And, and then you look how they all play different roles and positions for one common goal. That's unity. You might look at how people play a game of tennis in couples and how some can serve better than others, but some can volley better than others. So they work together, they call off each other, say, I got it. Or maybe you might watch volleyball. You see how they sometimes put the tall people at the beginning of the game up front just to make sure they get some points quick and early. And you notice how they rush the net after the serve so they can spike that ball down. That's unity. So many times in the church, we have so many people that sit the bench that are starting in the game and think they don't need one another. Because this is what they're thinking. This is what I thought when I played basketball because I didn't get clocked a lot. I, would, I, would, I wish somebody was get hurt. Get some foul trouble. <laughs> just so I could just get in. Or I was praying, let's beat that other team real bad so I get some garbage time. I, I, I wouldn't I think how I could better the team. I was just thinking how can I just get in the game. But then when I played football, I, I remember something, how you would get stickers on your helmet for having good games. And I didn't get any games then either very much. But we played as one team we beat down, and I happened to get an interception and a touchdown. That, I knew I had two stickers coming. And then one of my coaches said, Sam, talk about how you practice hard and you make the team better, and you might be able to negotiate, get you another sticker. And it hit me how much so that just because I wasn't on the field, it did not stop me from being a part of the team. What I'm trying to get at, so many of us want to have titles. So many of us want to have a pen that says our name. So many of us want to be up front before everybody, but you don't have to be up front to be part of the team. Unity comes when everybody looks to esteem others above themselves. Unity comes when you're willing to lay down what you have to better somebody else. Unity comes when we realize that it's not about me, but it's all about him. Good and pleasant. Isn't that, isn't that an attractive thing? That's good and pleasant, something attractive, something beautiful, something appealing to the eye. That's unity. Then it goes on and says what else it's like. It's like the precious ointment, uh, this ointment, this oil. You can look in Exodus and Leviticus. It's a specific mix that God has told them to make to anoint the priests. And I'm highlighting that because first and foremost, it says oil just for a common man, any man. And many times the beer 
in, in the Hebrew culture is something of royalty, something of, of character. Everybody was supposed to keep their beard groomed. And ways they kept their beard groomed was through oil, through trimming it and keeping it clean. And, and you can find out how much they loved their beards. And then con- contrast to the Egyptians, how Pharaoh wanted them to shave their beards to be like them. And that was hard to them because they loved their beards. So it's pointing out here how good and pleasing it is like having oil on your head that runs down your beard. What's that saying? It says, boy, it smells good, too. <laughs> Not only does your countenance look better, but you feel better about yourself. Don't you feel good knowing you have unity? Don't you feel good knowing that everything's well in your house? Think about how. People gain unity in times of crisis with perfect strangers. You can be on an airplane and let that pilot say something. Oh, you're going to become friends real quick with a person sitting next to you. You're going to see how can we work this out. Maybe you might be with your family. Y'all were arguing, but then you get a flat tire on the side of the road. It's, it's amazing how you're going to stop arguing and say, you know what, we need to get this together. It's amazing how in times of crisis, it can cause us to have unity. But here is not a time of crisis, but they're coming to worship God. And they realize in order for us to fully worship God, we have to have unity. And when we have unity, it's not only good and pleasant, it's like oil. It's oil that's set aside to anoint somebody's head. Oil that's just not on the tip of my head, but able to saturate my face, to make my face shine, to make me look good, to radiate, to make me feel glorious, to smell glorious. Glorious, and then not just stopping there, just for the common man, but oil on Aaron's head. What does that mean? That means that God has set apart a high priest, Aaron and his sons, and he says, you can't just use any oil, but a special oil that I will say will consecrate them, which means to dedicate them, to make them holy, to say they're pleasing in my sake. So what is God saying? God is saying that when you have unity in my fellowship, oh, I will bless you. You see how the consecration of the oil points out the, the, how God has ordained it, God has called it, and he made it so. And, and look at this, look at this really here closely here. Nothing Aaron did nor his sons did that made them holy, but what God allowed to be done unto them and the sacrifice of the ox and the lamb. And Leviticus shows out how God made them holy, but it first started with the oil in front of the people to let the people know that they have been set apart for my glory. In other words, God has set out the children of Israel apart for his glory. But I'm glad that Jesus came because now we too have been set apart for his glory. Not only do we have to have oil that poured out, but the blood came trickling down from the cross. We can be covered in that blood which too can consecrate us and make us holy in his eyesight. So we see this oil that pours down, not on just any man's head, but into the head of Aaron and going down to the beard and to the collar of his robe or to the hem of his garment. I'm going to deal with that because two translations can make it. It can go to his collar. Well, one thing could be how, how glory his beard was, that his beard was so well groomed and growing so long that it went to the collar 
of his robe and his whole beard was covered with this oil. That could be one emphasis. The other emphasis could be if it went down to the hem of the garment, God specifically designed their robes, even down to the fringes at the bottom of the garment. And so either way, it's pointing out that God is covering and blessing everything. That's unity. Then it gets on to say it is not only like a precious ointment, but it's like the dew of Hermon. Now, if you're not familiar with the geography, Hermon is almost some 200 kilometers north of the mountains, plural, of Zion. When it says mountains of Zion, Zion is, is another word to symbolize the children of Israel, not necessarily just that location. Zion also, the mountains of Zion represents the whole region of Zion. Now let me talk about Hermon for a moment. Hermon is a high-peaked mountain having two peaks. Mount Hermon is also to believe the place high up in the air where Jesus took his disciples and had the transfiguration. Mount, Mount Hermon is also known as the grandfather mountain because of the white snow caps on top of this mountain. And this mountain is so high up, it's over 9,000 feet up in the air. And because it's so high up in the air, it has its snowfall on the caps that when it's dry season, when it's not raining very much, when the sun is hot and not very refreshing, the dew of Hermon spreads over the region and refreshes them. Oh, the snow caps melt and go into streams to give them running water. Oh, sometimes they may blow snow over and they can use the snow like we use ice to refresh their drink. How many of you like to have some iced tea in the summertime? And you like maybe lemonade, that cool, refreshing drink. You like stuff to refresh you. Or how you like to sit under the shade with your drink filled up with ice. And sometimes it's more ice than drink because you just want something just to refresh you. The mountain of Hermon was able to refresh the surrounding area of Damascus and all around it. And so it's pointing out how great this mountain and the great area is able to cover. So is the blessing of unity. It is refreshing. Like the dew of Hermon over the mountains, plural, of Zion, meaning it's covering us, it's refreshing us. Another thing about dew, God said, I will be like the dew of Israel. What does that mean? It means I will refresh Israel. Abraham blessed his children and said, I pray that you will have the dew from heaven come down on it. There's a blessing in this. It's pointing out that they may not always have rainfalls, but the dew can cover the vegetation. The rain may not always come down and during the daytime, but at night the humidity on the dew can cover the plantation and give it enough water to survive. Do you understand how much dew can come? So much dew can come. Gideon didn't trust God with the dew. He said, let dew fall down on this, and he rained it. Remember he rained it? He rained the fleece. Then he said everything but this. That's how much dew can come down. So he wasn't surprised about the dew. He knew dew comes no matter what. But he asked God specifically to let him know. So, okay, God, I see you you're involved in this right here. Dew. Uh, dew comes down and refreshes. 
Then another thing about the dew, it says when the dew came on the earth, so then the manna appeared. I'll say that again. When the dew came down on earth, so did the manna appear. So this, this poeticness of this dew, they know about this dew, that it says the manna appeared like the dew. And, and the word manna comes back from the Hebrew about what is that. They, they were surprised to see this food to come, how God was provided. But then again, God said, I will be the dew of Israel. Dew benefits a desert land. If you were stranded in the desert, a survivalist will let you know that if you can dig up a hole and put garbage bags in there, it will collect enough dew to give you water to help moisturize yourself. Think about that for a moment. How that plaster will help create humidity so you can capture water to survive. The dew. The dew. Dew covered. Then catch this. Mount Hermon is a great mountain. And so the great dew of Hermon that covers that great region is like the great refreshing feeling of God covering Zion. In other words, what's too big for God? In other words, who is larger than him? They knew a great mountain And they compared it to a great refreshing that comes on the mountains of Zion. Zion, the place of of, of a fortress, a citadel, a stronghold. Zion, the place where David took over the Jebusite city and said, I'll make this my throne. Zion, a place exalted on a hill where, where Solomon decided to make the temple. Zion, the place where people come and come to worship. A central place of focus. Zion, the place that God said, I will bless the king and the lineage of David down to Solomon down to Jesus, Zion. And from there, God commanded the blessing. From there, God made the promise. From there, God said life forevermore. Now, not necessarily in eschatological terms of in life and the coming and the judgment time of having eternal life, but maybe more specifically to how God promised them how you will live in a land of milk and honey. For us to understand what it means to be the land of milk and honey, it's basically to let them know that you are about to go to a land that has cows that you did not raise. You are about to go to a land that has flowers you did not plant. You are about to go to a land that the bees themselves make the honey and pollinate the land and make sure it's filled with milk and honey. In other words, you're about to walk up into Super Walmart and somebody's about to let you know whatever you could put in your cart is yours. And they let you know, not just today, but every day you walk up in this place, you can fill up your car with milk and honey. In other words, God promised them that when you are in my land and be obedient to me, I will bless you. The four principles. Do you not see them in their text? Refreshing it is when you have unity. It's attractive. It's good. And pleasing when you have unity. It's holy unto God when you have unity. And God blesses when you have 
unity. I want you to see this principle in the New Testament. Jesus says it in the vine. I am the vine and you are the branch. If you abide in me, I abide in you. That's unity. And when you abide in me, you will produce fruit. Uh, that's production and that's refreshing to have some fruit. And he did not just say just a little fruit, but bountiful fruit. And then he goes on to say anything you ask in my name. My God, the Father, will give to you all I'm trying to point out, that when the body of Christ is able to put down some selfish and, and needless, idle, vanity things down, and able to come and love one another, able to forgive one another, able to wash each other's feet and serve one another, then you open up room for God to pour you out a blessing you won't have room for. Yes, I know the Bible says God reigns on the just and the unjust alike, but I want you to understand the unjust will not stand in the counsel of the righteous. So, yeah, you can be blessed being ugly, but I want to be blessed uh, being right. Uh, I want to be good and pleasing in the eyes of God and hearing that blessing life uh, forevermore. Jesus said, they're going to come say, Master, Master, did you not see us healing in your name, raising dead in your name, rebuking demons in your name. But the herd, the master say, depart from me. I, I do not know you. But the one that can humble himself and obey his commands and serve one another, I heard the master say, well done. My good and faithful servant Unity comes when I'm able to serve the body of Christ. God has ordained it so that the children of Israel, that you be a community that provides one for another. The Bible says, the record says that there should be no poor among you. God set that up. That was no sociological principle, but God made it so. When you look at the unity of Israel, they built their temple together. It said they gave what they had, and they gave so much so, they had to tell them, stop bringing it in. Zion, I want us to have that problem. The people want to give so much, we want to have to let them know, stop <laughs> bringing it in. I want to have that problem when the, the apostles were meeting. Somebody just showed up and said, here, I sold my land, and here's a prophet. Do something with this. I, I want to be in that place when people say, you know what, I see there's a need. I'm going to give what I have to bless somebody else. We can all work in our own way. You don't have to necessarily donate monetarily, but yet your time. Giving a phone call. Helping to clean up somebody's house, helping to rake somebody's lease, helping remove snow from their driveway. Maybe just bending over, picking up something they dropped because their back was hurting them. Maybe you see them with a cane, you, you wait there just a little bit longer to hold the door for them. Even when it's raining outside, you make sure they can get inside. From. Maybe you might stop your car just a little bit longer and let somebody walk in front of you. I know you're in a hurry, and I know they should watch where they're going. But maybe you can show God how patient you've been with me uh, when I didn't know where I was going, how I was rushing to go the wrong way, uh, but you was able to bring me back home safely. Am I talking to somebody here? I'm trying to leave you alone, but I want you to know how good and how pleasant it is for brother to dwell together in unity. 
Good day, now Zion, may the Lord bless you real good. But on your way home, I want you to think about how you can have blessings uh, in your house. You can have blessing in your workplace by allowing the unity uh, of the Holy Spirit, uh, the power of God moving in your life that you're able to love one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another. You may not agree with everything, but agree this, that God is real. And his love endureth forever. And it's better to show love than anything else. Then you can enjoy that good, refreshing feeling. Can everybody go, ah. Enjoy that good, refreshing feeling. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Father, Lord, we come to you right now just thanking you, Lord, for who you are. You've been so good to us, God. You blessed us, God, in spite of ourselves. While we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And, Lord, we come here to worship not because we're righteous, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, Lord, we thank you. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave and is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we want to be unified before you. Lord, whatever issues we have with our brothers, with our sisters, Lord, we ask you to forgive us right now. And Lord, we want to forgive them. Lord, may we be so bold that we will step them and let them know I forgive them and please Forgive me. Lord, let us humble ourselves and realize God is better to serve you than to serve our own selfish agendas. So that, Lord, we can enjoy that good and pleasing feeling of seeing unity, not only with our brothers and sisters, but also with you. Oh, Father, have your way in this place. Then, Lord, I pray right now if there's someone here who has not confessed, that Jesus is Lord, that he did die on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave on the third day and is truly exalted and seated at the right hand of you. Lord, I pray they confess right now and that they can enjoy that refreshing feeling of being unified with you, of no more pain and no more suffering, but truly understanding the eternalness of having life forevermore in your promise. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. May we stand and extend a hand of discipleship.